Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics. And that I'm was better talk- than than the that was the first time I've done that, and it was better than the last time I've done that. All of that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a marked improvement over the last yeah. time you did not do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am joined as always by my snarky co-host Thad. Uh, you know, a, a good phrase to get into a Herzog impression is overwhelming and collective murder. Madness veins. <laughs> also good one. joined by my co-host, Kara. Oh, greetings. Kara, do not take long pauses. We spent <laughs> 10 minutes getting your mic to work. <laughs> I don't want to say, I was like, and then we just lost Kara. Oh, this is going to be great. It's not a big loss. I'm a small person. Oh, you are a tremendous loss. Uh, but not in terms of like physical space right yeah no you no, are no. still very tiny okay. anyway yeah. the, Anyhow, uh, also... Um, also joined by <laughs> our special guest dustin blakeman hello good evening yes. well wealthy young man about town <laughs> <laughs> all right today we're going to be looking at two movies uh incident on loch ness and creature from big muddy an illinois bigfoot legend Mm. Uh, and then before we do, uh, for the first time, again, I think it's important that we explore the question, what is a hoax? <laughs> Hoaxing was invented by Sir Reginald Hoax in the 1830s before being stolen by Edgar Allan Poe to lie about balloons. <laughs> he, did he originally put a lie between two slices of bread? Is that... <laughs> no, that was that was attempted by the Earl of Bullshit, but it didn't work out. <laughs> Funny enough, I actually brought these, like, became fascinated with this notion of the podcast, this mm. topic, because we had mm. talked about, when we talked about um, Selma and Mississippi Burning, about how mm. when people talk about real life, they don't really try to be factual so much as they try to gather the truth. It, perhaps an ecstatic truth that it, is more than mere facts. Yes. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, Thad just did a Werner Herzog impersonation. And- I'm wor- look, I'm, I'm, I'm refining it, all right? That's what it, this is. It's getting better, and the weirder the stuff you say, the more authentic <laughs> right. it sounds. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, um, so we're going to start off with Incident at Loch Ness, 2004. Uh, Kayla, you want to tell us about it? Yes. So to begin, Werner Herzog is a filmmaker and documentarian. He's made both like fictional films and actual documentaries, and he's sort of well known for making very strange auteur works and for being very explorational. And uh, he is known for being kind of extreme in terms of what he's done. Like there are rumors of him directing people at gunpoint, of like people getting hurt on set. He denies that they're true. Sometimes set agrees that they're true. Um, so he's just he also of... has definitely had to stop filming a film because of a volcano before, possibly yeah. more than once. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, one of the great uh, things is he does, in fact, have a class of how to be a documentarian that begins with about picking locks and forging documents and breaking into places as a true like artist should. Uh, there's an infamous quote that goes uh, around the internet with him that says uh, he was at like a meeting with a bunch of documentary directors and they asked like should directors interfere with the subject and they're all like no 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 he's like no we are directors we are the bee that stings we must incite 
and then they booed him and then they booed me and i said happy new year's losers um so happy new year losers so he's a man who's very well aware that he has this mad eccentric reputation but he's also willing to lean into it he's willing to make fun of himself he showed up that i just pointed out to me show up on the boondocks doing an impression of himself it's so Uh, good so he's not self-important but he is bizarre and ridiculous and very sublime about it and as far as i know there are no creepy stories of him towards women no, no, he's just dangerous. He's I dangerous know. in like a 1930s adventurer way, not in a Me Too kind of way, as far as we know. Even yeah. his yeah. Ogs, like a pins, he had a cameo in the Madagascar Penguin movie mm-hmm. as a narrator about a do- in a documentary about penguins. Because yes. in his actual documentary about the South Pole, he made a dig at a documentary about penguins. <laughs> and so they thought it'd be funny to have him be the narrator of a uh, fake documentary about penguins. And he was up for it. So like, and he was I, fine. Yeah. Like he, he he's seems a man... to be up for whatever. <laughs> yeah. 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 This like, is, if I recall, this is the second Herzog related film that uh, Jeremiah and I have talked about on this, uh, this podcast. Uh, Cause I remember long ago, we also talked about Jack Reacher. Yes. In which yeah. Herzog <laughs> was the villain. Right. <laughs> Right, just straight up villain too. Just like, yeah. hey, we need a villain. Who should we cast? Uh, like a nineteen nineties villain. Yeah, I like no real backstory. Yeah. Just creepy. yeah, he's like exactly. a Bond villain. It's, <laughs> right. it's great. You're right. It, it, it would be like Scorsese being in like, you know, Commando or something. It's so <laughs> weird. Anyway, but, Herzog's Herzog's. But Herzog. it's perfect because it's Herzog. <laughs> so you know. But this is this is a man that's like. Well respected in the field, uh, well known and well respected. And so the premise of Incident at Loch Ness is that Werner Herzog is going to film a documentary about the Loch Ness monster, and he explicitly states that he doesn't think there's a monster. That he wants to go like, why? Why do we want to think about monsters? What truth does this reveal? Is the the an ecstatic truth to the nature of the myth of the monster? Uh, my accent's terrible. Sorry. Um, <laughs> And so he's, and so the premise, that's sort of the premise of it. And then his incredibly stupid, obnoxious producer, Zach, right? Zach yeah, Penn. Zach Penn. Now, Zach mm-hmm. Penn uh, cr- so a documentary crew starts following Werner Herzog as he's filming a documentary about Loch Ness. And what they capture is his incredibly idiotic and obnoxious producer, Zach, trying to set up a hoax in which Werner Herzog will actually capture footage of the Loch Ness monster. <laughs> Herzog doesn't know this is happening, and throughout the course of the movie, he slowly realizes his obnoxiously idiotic producer is screwing with him, which he handles in what I can only describe as, like, the only sane man way. <laughs> like, it, it, he's just, like, he's tired. Like, it's not like in most movies, like, people would get histronic and go bigger, and at one point, uh, Zach, in a moment of, like, fuel and field of uh, infused drama, points a gun at Herzog's like this time you're directed by a gun and Herzog just stares at him and it cuts between <laughs> that and his like interview sequence and he goes 
I am sick of this rumor following me around. <laughs> and I saw this is the moment to put it to bed. And so it goes back to him with a guy pointing a flare gun and says, being like, that is not true. And that flare gun is not loaded. Not even <laughs> well, in that same interview sequence, he admits to actually helping that rumor along by going, I've leaned into it a few times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and what slowly begins to happen is that uh, between Zach's obnoxious shenanigans of like hiring fakes of trying to set up a hoax him and Ver- him and uh herzog's tension and then there appears to be an actual monster and the ship is wrecked and so it flips suddenly into like this found footage horror movie of this very famous director musing on when he was attacked by a sea creature right Right. The beauty of which being that it's the movie that Zach Penn wanted, that his character anyway, wanted the whole time and was pushing for and trying to manufacture. Uh, he finally gets it at the end, but he doesn't see it because he's still so tied to his manufactured junk. Yeah. Yeah. And- it's ruined for him personally. And- and this isn't like other mockumentaries where you have actors playing characters. These are all real people. So there, there's like a sound man that shows up. He's really an award-winning sound man. There's a right. cinematographer. He's really an award-winning cinematographer. There's somebody who's a model who's hired to pretend she knows about sonar. She is really a real model. And Zach Penn is a real guy who really works in Hollywood and has serious credits to his name and put together the money to make a movie. And he thought, you know what I want to do? I'm going to make myself look like an asshole. (laughs) I'm going to make myself look like an asshole and Werner Herzog look like some weird throwback sad hero uh, and just kind of end it. Yep. Yeah. Fuck you. I I can't. It's uh how 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 sure are we that uh Werner Herzog does not die at the end? Would you guys say, in your own personal opinions? I mean, t- to be fair, he is being interviewed. Right. I guess that's true. There's yeah, no. the post. And also, as 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 we talked about before, one of the great losses is that we don't have the um. The the audio commentary, which IMDb assures me is done in character by Penn and Herzog. Who and like IMDb are... would never lie. Yeah, would never lie. Just uh, like Luna Herzog, I... IMDb is to be trusted with yeah, complete exactly. impunity. I just look. I I would I would like to verify it. I just don't have the DVD. Okay, so the thing about Incident Loch Ness, as we've just basically laid out, is it essentially is a Werner Herzog movie. Mm. Only about fake. being a Werner Herzog movie, right? right. Because yeah. there's a there's an um I don't know if it's true or not, but Roger Ebert tells a story of a time when he was at Cannes uh, Cannes Film Festival, and he mm. bumped into Herzog, and Herzog invited him back to his room to watch four documentary shorts, and he's like, one of these is real, and the others are fake. <laughs> So he did Which an, an inverse of Ripley's real. Believe It or Not. Hold on, hold on. It gets even better. And he, he oh, was no. like, that one is real. No, the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Never happened. Nope. Not a chance. And that's just the guy he, he loves. I, playing do, I believe that. it. Like, I absolutely believe it. Fiction sort of meld uh, to one because as we right. talked about, 
fiction is a way is a is a tool that we use to get to a certain type of truth and the static mm. truth as Herzog gets to. Right. Well, I mean, so, it's, it's one of it's one of those things where like a documentary gets you is attempting to get you to believe something that is not necessarily exactly as the documentary like crew recorded it. Right. Whereas, like fiction, at least has the uh, the wherewithal to lie to your face, and you know it's a lie, and you can right. learn from it despite that, or in fact because of it. It's true. And some, you know, it depends on how much lying they do, really, because I mean, it, no matter what you do, even if everything you told, all the stuff that you captured is 100% true because it, it happened right in front right. of you. Like, mm. even the nature of putting film together in the editing room, you're automatically going to lose context. Um, yeah. You know, you don't have time to explain everything. So, I mean, no matter what you're... It's not academic. Um, it's not a study. It's a documentary. Like... I mean, some, yeah, some people I, I, believe you can't have a purpose with a documentary. I think that's maybe going a little far because you can have a purpose. Like the purpose of a documentary is to get people excited right. about a subject, you know, even if it's not, again, an academic breakdown of that subject. Like, But at the same time, this is not a defense of Herzog because Herzog just makes things up whole cloth. <laughs> will absolutely do what Zach Penn does in Incident. And, well, and know, sometimes I have people occasionally up, in. Yeah. mix stuff up just to help get a point across. Right, exactly. Like the story of um, Little Dito Needs to Fly. There's a scene where we see the pilot Dito going around the house, checking his That's windows and doors locked. Exactly. Because it's exactly. like, I feel trapped and I just have to make sure the doors are locked. He doesn't actually do that. Herzog just wanted a visual representation of what this guy feels like. Exactly. So it's manufactured, but it's pushing that point forward. And then there, you know, but there's a darker side to that where, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you have the, I won't bring up any of their names, but we all know who I'm talking about. The people who are literally making propaganda documentaries, that's in a class of its mm-hmm. own, right. you know. I mean, but, I, I think the question, though, about, like, how is the lie is, like, what is the purpose of the possible inaccuracy? So is right. the purpose of it, like, uh, in in that one where the purpose of it was, like, I want people to better understand how this man feels? Or is it, like, a grift where it's, like, I'm trying to sell people something. I'm right. trying to make them go and do something. I'm trying to make them protest or riot or buy this or sell that or behave yeah, the, in this way. Is it, so, is, it, is it art or is it literally being done to scam someone? The difference yeah. does matter. Well, yeah, right. and I think because people confuse often we try to like a documentary somehow is more truthful than a film or something mm. like that. But like a documentary is a film. It yeah. is right. right. Editorial be, choices are being made. And I I think with documentaries, we also forget that um, the camera's eyes are not our eyes. Like the the illusion is, of course, that you're watching it. But uh, this is going to sound possibly immensely dumb. Every time they show like like every time at the Oscars, like, oh, this one best documentary and this whole crew of people you have never seen before get up on the stage. You're like, who are these people? And they're like, (laughs) oh, we're so important in the documentary. And you're like, oh, right, because. They made they made a movie. That's how <laughs> how movies right. work. There are people right. who do things. Right. By nature of filming a documentary, you are technically erasing reality. 
just mm. because there's a huge crew and there's lights and sound. It's so many lights, so many lights, <laughs> yeah, and sound and everything else. Well, it's, like it's one of those things that I think I don't know uh, when I think about mockumentaries, like the the most pervasive one being The Office. Uh, even though like the actual like the the staring to the camera is like a trope that is very associated with that show, but right. like. They're not looking at us, the audience. If you stare at the camera, you're looking at the camera person and like the people around the camera person. Like, that's it's sort of used as a, a placeholder for like sort of uh, looking at the audience and like rolling your eyes. But like, right. the, the audience that is there in, well, I mean, even then, they're looking at the camera person. Like, that's <laughs> what's being invisible. <laughs> we, we, uh, the documentaries that I have shot, we actually went as far as to, like, push that illusion. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, uh, the one that I specifically wrote, um, I, I was the actual uh, interviewer, and I was sitting, literally, the camera was, like, right here above my head. <laughs> you were wearing a camera and I was hat? sitting right below the camera rig, essentially, right in front of the tripod, asking oh. my questions. Um and uh, I think we ended up moving me actually because it they were they were too well. Sometimes you can't look too directly right. into the camera, or it's yeah. weird. It's, That's it's why like Elmo invented get... that camera so if they could yeah. look into it, make yeah. it seem like they're looking into the camera because if you look it, well, it's, directly it's... into the camera, it looks weird. You know, because of how it's distorting reality, you're almost looking off to the left. Right. Well, it's, right. A, it's also one of those things where, like, if you look just a little bit away from the camera, but towards the camera, like, if you're taking, if you're checking a selfie on your phone screen, like, it looks weird because you're you're looking at it, you're right. looking near the camera. Right. Exactly. So we we have them look across usually end up, but like the power of your eyeballs going, I just did it right now, where you up uh, right into the camera, uh. like it causes. It's like breaking the fourth wall, even without doing mm. so. I mean, it's mockumentaries, so technically you're doing that all the time. But yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it does. It has a really profound effect. I find it really interesting. Hmm. Well, Except in Big Muddy. Herzog knows this. Herzog understands yeah. this fantastically. And Anson mm-hmm. Loch Ness does a really good job of knowing when to, quote unquote, look at the camera. Mm. And knowing when they just filmed them talking, because when they do the interview segments, they're looking off to the side. Mm-hmm. And uh, but like as you said, like Kara mentioned, like um, Russell Williams the, uh, second, he's an actual sound guy. He has mm. actual sound complaints. We can hear the boat. Or you have Gabriel Best and the actual DP, who's actually like, I need more light. And then you have the actual like, John Bailey which, shooting Herzog in Wonderland, the fake documentary inside the documentary. Which like gets really meta when you realize that 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 also means that they had to make sure that the they they had the sounds that were interfering with the recording on the <laughs> in the movie, so that they could complain about the sounds. Like it would be really. I would love to know how much of that they actually had to fake. Uh, because it wasn't making the right noise or whatever for them, because you know yeah, they like get real particular. Complaining about well, in post, and Blakeland brought up <laughs> right, the point. Exactly. The movie mentions very briefly um, the Herzog uh, <laughs> in Wonderland is being shot in digital, mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. and then the actual movie they're shooting is being shot in film. Yeah, we show two types and two different types of film, 
and also require two different types of camera. And also, I think part of the reason they even went digital for Herzog in Wonderland, because that's the camera he takes into the lock with him when he, quote-unquote... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Because you can't do that with a, an actual camera. <laughs> You're right. But just, like, the the way, like, the the way it looks like a documentary feels like a documentary, and then before you realize it, it's turned into a Jaws ripoff. Right, yes. right, right. Which is really, that's the beauty of the whole thing is like it becomes, it's almost like adaptation in a way, mm, like yeah. in the way yeah. that it becomes itself, you know, I don't know. That, that becomes may not everything be the best they didn't to want it. it to be. Right, yeah. but at the same time becomes perfect because of it. Like right. it's just so funny to me. The journey like, of I, how you make art. And like I wanted right, this right. and then it ha- all this happens and so I went with this. Right, right. I just I, I can't get over the fact that Zach Penn got everything he wanted, but just just he wasn't even there. He wasn't even well, paying then, attention. And then like, also that like, is, like that's that's well, he like, also so. suffered more than anyone else. <laughs> people who died. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, except for the people who died. But I right. mean, they're not. Right. They're, they're, they're dead. So you could say he still suffered more. And right. I mean, like the the meta layer of that is great because this was Zach. This was the real world Zach Penn's movie, right? And so he did get everything that he wanted, and what <laughs> right. he wanted was to tell this insane story that made him look like the most insufferable person possible. I think if we examine a little bit of Zach Penn's history, though, I think mm. the character that he is portraying in this film. Mm. is becomes very clear when you think about the kinds of producers that he has worked with in yeah. Hollywood. Let I, I pulled up a list here, may I? Yeah. Oh, um, oh please do. I'm guessing Joel Silver is on that list. Uh, probably. Um, these aren't the people he worked with. These are just the movies he worked on. We'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, his no, first no. script ever, he got discovered for Last Action Hero. Yes, I it's, love that movie, which is I a weird, too. but it's a weird movie. It's one of those but movies it's a that could wreck. have been made in a period of time. I love it. It's great, but it's a train wreck. Like, like, it's like Rockadoodle, like you don't... Movies, but not Schwarzenegger movies. Right. Oh, God. Can you imagine that being your first, like, I, I imagine being young Zach Penn. Like, he was only, like, 26 or something. Yeah. Like, he sells a screenplay. It's got Greenlit. It's got Schwarzenegger. And then he watches that production. Oh. And then seeing the crit come out like critics just oh they were evil to that film yeah we must destroy all other critics <laughs> they destroyed that film maybe rightfully so I mean I, I don't like, think well, like as a child I enjoyed it as an adult I'm just in awe but go ahead right, we, uh, we, right. We, we it's uh, sublime it's a sublime film <laughs> because it's one of those movies that only children can watch because it uses the logic of a child Right, and I don't mean that in an insulting way. It's just like there are certain premises that children go through life. There's a ticket from Harry Houdini that. (laughs) Yeah, and you're like, okay, like that, like, like nothing makes sense to children anyway, because adults are like, we're going to put you in these uncomfortable clothes and take you to this place. It's the time of the year when we do that. What's a year? What are pants? Okay, let's go. I guess this is happening. And so, like, when a movie lives by that logic, adults get very confused, but children are like, I see no difference. Mm -hmm. (laughs) These are the same to me. Right. Uh, uh, I should mention um, he did write originally. He had a writing partner named Adam Leff, 
that okay. he wrote the original two with. He was only story writer, technically, on Last Action Hero, but I believe mm-hmm. that's because they wrote the original screenplay and then got tossed out along the way somewhere. Yeah. I mean, later right. later right. on, he also uh, he he did uh, story co-writing for the exactly. second X-Men movie with, yep. Uh, yep. with a solid snake and a rapist. Oh, right. <laughs> I, I yes, wonder why, why like, I don't think people s- at home understand that you can be a writer of a movie and that script never sees the light of day. No, so it's, your movie yeah, gets yeah. Never. <laughs> it's pretty bad, in fact. Like, yeah, it, it can be really bad. I, uh, I don't know why, but when you were talking, you're like, yeah, that guy, the, the person that he wrote with is no longer... Like his part writing partner, or whatever. My mind immediately went. He murdered him. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, I don't know what happened to Adam Leff. I just figured I should mention him bum, since bum, bum. he didn't do that by himself. <laughs> uh, but he does not have a Wikipedia page, which is interesting. Mm. I don't know. Maybe he gave up. I think that means he doesn't exist. That's why I don't exist. <laughs> well, get this. Their second script was PCU, oh. which was another. Awesome oh. culty kind of movie, but kind of like was a huge failure and yeah. like got destroyed. So I like, love PC. I know, I know, and it's got a huge cult following. Like they did good. It's just that, like, can you imagine if your first two movies were Last Action Hero and PCU? Like, I feel like he would have been done. Like he was. He didn't write any more scripts. Then he just went. He was like, forget it. Let me fix other people's scripts. And then he did like he he was a he was an uncredited writer on Men in Black, and story consultant on Ants, like, mm-hmm. um, which are both great movies, mm-hmm. awesome movies. And then he went back to screenwriting and he worked on Inspector Gadget. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so yeah. you know, uh, he's, is he's got more credits than I do. <laughs> You know, all of this kind of makes a lot more sense when you realize he played an incredibly stupid, obnoxious producer that destroys a wonderful <laughs> thing created by an auteur genius. You would be exactly. shocked. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like, it's, it's you great. understand that he's like, I will become manifest a monster that has destroyed me as a way to I mean, like you know, purge it from my mind. Like, right. What we're putting forward here is also the theory that, in a way, Herzog is playing young Zach Penn in this yes. movie. Yes. <laughs> Is that, I think Herzog, honestly, I believe Herzog represents, like, Zach Penn's idealism yeah, and, like, his belief in film. Honestly, like, I think Herzog is just a great avatar of a very particular kind of idealism in yeah. terms of, like, a yeah. creative process. Right. I, film is a beauty Film right. is art. Well, you know, to, yeah. to go back to other Herzog anecdotes, he sto- he reportedly stole his first camera from a university because he <laughs> felt that he he was like he needed a camera, and so like he was entitled to take it. Well, yeah. and what makes Herzog different than most of the directors like that is someone yeah. was interviewing him like, "What's your favorite show?" And it's like, "I watch professional wrestling and Keeping Up with the Kardashians." <laughs> and they're like, why? And he goes, because that's what the public watches. As a poet, you should always understand who your audience is watching. And like, so mm-hmm. for him, he's watching it because he's trying to understand the masses. <laughs> Even though he makes movies not for them, he's trying to understand the society in which he lives. Yeah. And like, he wasn't saying it like in a derisive way. He's like, no, I watch these. I'm not, I'm not at all joking or being like condescending. 
these are popular shows. Why wouldn't I watch these? I make art. Right. (laughs) I I think it's, I feel like if you went to Werner Herzog and you're like, I have this idea for kind of a fun, dumb thing. He might be in, he might be not. If you went to Werner Herzog and like, look, I have some things I need to work out emotionally, (laughs) mentally, and I really need to do it through the medium of film. And I believe it can only be done by you pretending to be yourself. Werner Herzog would be like, "This this is art. It this is, is a basically calling. what I already do every day. How could I turn this <laughs> these down? Well, I think also what it is is Herzog realizes that the notion of Hollywood and his type of filmmaking can coexist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like just because yeah, you make a Hollywood point. film doesn't make you a lesser director. He hangs out with well, John Waters for crying out loud. Yeah, right. he's not, right. he's not trying to escape or be better than the world he lives in. He right. is attempting to be himself and understand other people and talk about the gaps between those things with art. Yes, right. it rules. Right. And um, also, he's he hires small armies to <laughs> walk through his frames for him, um, which also, you know puts a spin on all that stuff. Uh, uh, shout out to David A. Davison, the guy who was the crew coordinator and captain of the ship, because yeah. that is just putting a lot on a guy's plate. Right, right. The one guy who got double duty was driving the damn boat. <laughs> and the lock. The Scottish uh, lock. Right, right. On yeah. the best of days is not a calm piece of water. Also, also important that in the uh, the party at Herzog's house that we spend time in at the beginning of the movie, Ricky Jay is there. Uh, pour one out for a real one. Ricky yeah. Jay, Ricky Jay, doing the thing we were talking about of showing you a magic trick and almost yeah. putting into like a single scene what we meant by what fiction and truth is. Yeah, like, just doing a very like he does two very Thaddeus, simple things structurally. The audience speaking. doesn't know who Ricky Jay is. You uh, yeah, they do. It's him. fine. So Ricky Jay does two. He look up Ricky Jay and then watch anything he's ever done. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, that's fair. It, it, Pause. Come back. Wait. Hold on, everyone. We Give don't have repeat. to. It's <laughs> no screw that. Okay, now we can resume. So, back. so Ricky Thank Jay you. does two things uh, during the little bit that sort of focuses on him at the party that I love. Is he produces a deck of cards out of his shirt pocket in a way that is odd, but not like flashy, just like odd. That was different. And then he does a very smooth, very slow card change with his like just beautiful meaty hands that i'm very jealous of i have very skeletal hands it makes card tricks <laughs> difficult uh and it's he does those two things while just talking a little bit about imagine about magic tricks which is the best thing that he does uh and and it's just like yes here's what we're doing we're going to very slowly and very artfully do a magic trick right in front of you <laughs> well and it goes to what blakeman was saying it's happening right before you it's not mm-hmm. a lie it's a distorted reality Right, like is right. is a magic trick a lie? Right. Like, yeah, yeah. Right. It's a it's a kind of performance. Yeah. It's an well, illusion. The thing about a magic trick is that you know, they tell you he, you are here for a show. Right. You may not understand what's about to happen. You may not be able to explain it. You may not be able to figure out what happened. But you know that what you've seen and everything that's happening are not quite in alignment. Like that's right. the, but that's the joy of it. And I think what sets Herzog apart is because a magician also has to have patter. Mm-hmm. Herzog is just great at patter. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, Herzog right. is. You can listen I am to not Herzog. A <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Oh, also like honorable mention to uh, Katana Baker, who <laughs> shows up to be like the model that Zach Penn hired to be eye candy, at, but like also did her homework on sonar operation, and so ends up being integral to them like being able to sort of avoid the monster for a little while. It's it's just a great little <laughs> like character arc. When it, when it comes to pouring one out for a real one, I don't know if it was a slick bit of camera work. I hope mm. it was, but in the fake movie documentary, she jumps into the lock in a swimsuit, oh. and I screamed. Like when I saw her about <laughs> oh, to do that, yeah. I I made terrible noises. Yeah, this is and- Scotland. You can't do that. <laughs> it really, it's the moment when you realize that Zach Penn is a real villain in the yeah. film. Like, yeah, oh, he's, he's the he's worst. So, he's not just like kind of dumb and obnoxious and like screwing over like a much more interesting and important direct person in film he's actually doesn't care if he hurts people and he doesn't know what he's doing exactly which is revealed when amongst other things he has the engine ripped out of the boat for a new one to be put in that's smaller and quieter which is the wider boat <laughs> the, stop. And, which, and which of course also for the radio yeah, yeah, that foreshadows right. him ripping out the radio. <laughs> well, she says, I may or may not have said, I would have liked for someone to rip the radio. <laughs> but it's just, in the end, despite all, being a horrible person and destroying several people literally to death, he gets exactly what he wanted, insists that he's the one that suffered the most, even though it was all his fault. <laughs> and didn't even notice that he got everything that he wanted. Oh, like, again, so if somebody is working out their emotional issues at being hosed by Hollywood, <laughs> it's it's exceptional. Which brings us to the other movie of the podcast. <laughs> Are you are you sure we can talk about this for a half hour? Because I bet we're going to talk about it and then talk more about Incident at Loch Ness. We're going to try. <laughs> Creature from Big Muddy. An Illinois Bigfoot legend, which is not a mockumentary. No. 100% serious. But if you use your critical thinking cap and, you know, basic media literacy, you start to realize this might be a grift. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I I can totally I can totally do the the, uh, synopsis of this one. Okay. Yeah. Take my job. I don't care. I'll just sit here and just just be unemployed. Well, that's that's because this movie has no story. It, <laughs> it is, doesn't. I actually was going to be like, a meandering, there's a Bigfoot. Yeah, it is a meandering series of interviews with people who saw a monster once sometime between the early 1970s and 2021 in and around Murfreesboro, Illinois, by some people who could make a documentary, sort right. of. And not at all told in any sort of like sequential order or it's from least exciting to most exciting story. I feel like that balance is off. Yeah, like the lack of a thread is itself to me the most compelling part of this because (laughs) there are some choices that are made, or rather, like there are choices that are not made. There are things that they just do that could have been choices. Right. Uh, because one of the things that happens uh, about 20 minutes into this movie, all right, uh, I say to the people who all know this already, is they interview a guy 
who tells a story about his friend who loved sci-fi and effect stuff and made a monster costume and some stink smell and used to scare people out at Lover's Lane, which is, word for word, one of the first stories about this Bigfoot monster <laughs> yeah, that we had heard you earlier. Go, that man's name is Bruce Klein. Bruce Klein, that's yeah. him. No connection. No connection made in the film whatsoever. Nobody stops to say, wait a minute, this sounds a lot like that first story we heard. Not, Not one. even when no the guy goes, I can take you to his place and show you stuff. Do they go, we should go there? No. They just go, well, oh. that sounds nice. Oh my god. And that's how you know. That's how you know this is not a real documentary because they're trying to prove something. They're trying to prove a negative instead of actually looking for information. Because, I mean, that was a perfect, like, talk about a bombshell ending for your documentary about Bigfoot. I have proof that it was fake. Like, Every documentary maker in the universe would die for that information, and they just right past it. Nothing. The well, interview, as we the should other, mention. No, the I do want to bring up is that, like, the the inverse of that, right? Mm-hmm. Is that when so this guy is like so the first Bigfoot story occurred in like seventy seventy three. And that's the one that they're talking about. So he's like, yeah, back in 73, I had a friend that did special effects that exactly matched this very well-known and infamous story. So you know what my first question would be after somebody told me that was? What? Hmm? Bullshit. (laughs) I have lived in small Illinois towns my entire life, and the number of people who tell me I was there when this infamous local thing happened, or I know someone who was there... Bullshit, son. Yeah, they, they didn't like, even the push back. They have no response, and it's not that they are—they are like left speechless. Like this guy's like, I have the mist, the ending to your mystery, and there are two responses to that, which is a, you're full of it and trying to get attention, and why did we give you any attention? Or b, cool, prove it. Take us to your friend, <laughs> right. and, and like, like, because there's things to explore. Because like, oh. he says, like, oh yeah, my friend built a seven foot tall costume. It, I, I have made costumes. It is not an easy thing to actually make a costume that's taller than a person. No, uh, not any at all. furry you, will tell yeah, you the you same. Could do it, but it's a lot of work. It's right. a lot of work, and it's a good way to accidentally like drown because you have mm. to create a fake head. Right. So right. it's like, okay, so how did somebody? in a seven-foot-tall costume, get themselves in and out of the river safely. Yeah, there are any number of logistical questions that they could have asked. I'm not saying that it's not possible. I'm saying that, like, once you get told that first thing, it's like, okay, like, let's... let's You can have a conversation. Yeah, let's just pick up this. (laughs) Not what happened in the documentary. No. No, they're like... they, They just... Like, like, again, it's not that they have nothing to say. They're not, like, stunned or anything. They're like... Uh-huh. It's and like being, right. it's like being interviewed by the second banana in an infomercial. Their only <laughs> response is just wow. Yeah. Right. Uh, we should mention the host's name are Chad Lewis and Kevin Lee Nelson. Hmm. Uh, they, one they of them do... looks as a clean cut guy and the other one looks like he used to be a roadie for Leonard Skinner. Yep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> not also... a bad way. Like he he makes it work. Yeah, yeah like, I'm not saying also... it's a bad thing. I'm just saying like the guy has a very definite look and the other right. guy is just a normal looking uh, they, uh, they the, also, the first uh, interview is um the mayor of the town. William I found Stevens? that to be 
I found that to be a bit suspect. Well, I thought it was weird, but then when the film ended with the interview with the mayor, (laughs) that's when I was like, you just made an ad for Murphy's Boy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, catered by the Murphy's Bro uh, (laughs) Chamber of Commerce. They do at one point make like kind of like a small gesture towards like, oh, like the monster may not be real and it's about like myth. And I'm going to be honest, Werner Herzog's weird (laughs) rambling aside in his fake documentary about the nature of the importance of the myth of monsters was more interesting and in-depth and meaningful than their whole hour-long movie. Like there is nothing wrong with making a movie... Like a documentary that's not about proving whether or not there's a monster, but just talking about how people think about it. Right. Like, I love that. Like, I'm from a small town. I'm right. from Illinois. Yeah, I know the places they're talking about. I wouldn't mind just being like, hey, you want to talk to a bunch of small town people about whatever they feel like BSing about today? Sure, let's do it. But that. The- yeah, there's the bones of something usable here. Like, it's this is one of the things about like documentaries being like any piece of art, a series of choices. And like, this is choices not being made. Cause like, I'm not mad at the interviews with like these old folks talking about their, their family's monster stories. Some of them are like, those are the best parts. I'm less right. interested in, in hearing these two guys talk to other people who hunt cryptids. Like, that's, that's, that's boring. That's the but, problem. And but, it, like, here it hear, hear like, that hard. Yeah, yeah, and like hearing these these people just give their their stories of like what they or their grandparents saw, like that I can see, that's that's interesting to me. You could tie those together in a way that's like it doesn't it doesn't matter. Well, it does not matter whether the monster is real or not. What what we are here to do is to to bear well, witness well, to these people. Also, <laughs> like one guy that talks about like being chased out of the woods hmm. by things or like seeing things in the woods. And there's something to be said, like, if you've ever been in woods, <laughs> there's that moment where you walk just a little too far and you're like, oh, oh, oh I see how people die like a mile from the road because I'm about to be one of those people. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing about this movie is all four of us have been in the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, we're from the Midwest. So we know that there is a feeling you get when you go a little bit too far into the woods. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. that can ease. And that's where a lot of this myth comes from. But they never explore it. Yeah, it no. never even occurs to them. Like, why do we have this need to create a monster when we've just gone a step or two farther into the woods than we normally go? And yeah. they also do talk. I mean, this is one of those things that's always a little borderline. They do talk a lot, a lot about like creatures that used to live in the area, like uh, bears and bobcats and coyotes and stuff like that. But also, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry. Like this whole area, if you're going to talk about things that live in the deep woods they talk to this like psychic shaman white guy you're gonna talk about things that live in the woods that are people shaped you gotta talk about like then what the native americans said lived in the woods exactly and those are not nice stories right I was live tweeting with Sherman when I was watching the film for the first time. Oh, no. And, uh, and that was immediate. Like, I had to stop watching the movie for a little bit when the shaman came on. Because I was like, I'm sorry. I'm going to need to see uh, uh, where were you ordained. Like, you know, <laughs> I want to know what tribe were you with, please? And, I mean, um, my, my one bit of research on that guy was just to check his Twitter presence. Because we live in a post-Q shaman world. So I right. wasn't sure what to expect. And it turns out he's a guy who retweets Mark Hamill a lot. So whatever. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, and that's, what she, 
Yeah, it's worse what people. you get. Just from listening to him, you can pick that up because yeah. it's not it's very skin deep understanding of naturalism and other such things. Like I was not impressed with the shaman. I like the naturalist. Yeah, uh, that, that guy, dude. guy ruled. That guy the whole movie should have been about that dude. That guy was there to have a conversation. Exactly. That guy was awesome. Tell like and I even Yes, he he had the best mind. He was willing to be open, but he was skeptical, as a scientist should be. Yeah. And you know, he treated it as a science, and that's all what I was, ask. What was the what name of the the polar opposite of that guy? The guy who was like, "Oh, all the people who say the monster's fake, those are just anecdotes." Look at all these non-anecdote stories that we have. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, which so... exactly actually reflects something in Loch Ness where somebody says, "Show me the not proof." <laughs> And I will never like that guys. Like there are so many anecdotes about a lock about like this thing, seven foot tall cryptid in the Illinois woods. And I, I immediately turned to Thias and said, "Show me the not proof." She did. Right. She absolutely so did. So the thing about you, Lloyd, is every time they're like, "So what about this?" and he goes, and he gives them like a logical explanation. Yeah. Then they give you an example and show you how Lloyd is probably right. <laughs> And then she very just weird. hand wave it and move on. I was like, no, no. that doesn't make sense. Why no. the thing trouble is, is the of guy... showing me how this is actually a viable answer? But then in the next breath, we're like, but that's not what we think. Hmm. Well, and also, like, the, the naturalist guy, he, he throws them a bone. He's like, woods are weird. <laughs> there are always weird things that happen. Do I think it's a giant primate? No, we would have seen poop. But if, <laughs> if like, you told me there's something weird in the woods, like, yeah, probably. Like, he, he, he really, like, throws them a bone because uh, woods are weird. That's true. And super spooky. And it's, it's huge. It is huge out there in the state park area. Like, we... Hmm. We've talked about that. Like, I mean, that section of Illinois is very large, very wild, but at the same time, it's not the Peruvian jungle, you know? Like, <laughs> no. He, as I, man, that point, that is the point. I agree with Kara there. It's they yeah. would have found poop. Like, you don't. I, I can buy Bigfoot in Montana because there are huge swaths of Montana that people do not map. They cannot go. Like, people have been, but you have to, like, take an expedition to go there. So there are not people checking for poop in yeah. certain areas. So, like, I can at least go there, but, man, it's hard in Illinois because, like, my whole family's from Illinois. I hang out in <laughs> Illinois all the time. Like, there's no Bigfoot, guys. Little there's Egypt. a lot of... Right. Uh... Oh, I, I, my family reunion was at Little Egypt. Like, <laughs> well, yes, yeah, that was the other red flag for me. It's when one of them brought up Little Egypt, and then they kept calling that, like, in a way <laughs> that people from there wouldn't call it Little Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, um, okay, so we should mention the director, Joseph C. Terry, the guy who directed all this, also did the narration. Aww. He is not a good narrator. Less. No, he but has ten minutes into the movie, ten minutes after mm. ten minutes of pure, hey, this is a fact, this is a thing, he will all the legends, everyone who lives here would tell you this. He says this line, 
In truth, there are more people who believe the idea of an undiscovered giant primate to be incredulous versus those who even entertain the idea the possibility that species species actually exist. Jeremiah, you you have a little too much modulation to your voice. Okay, uh, you need to sound a little. You need to sound a little bit like you're not paying attention <laughs> to the apologize. script that you're reading. <laughs> but it was. I heard that. And I was like, "What is this Glenn Beck horseshit?" Right. <laughs> well, the best part is they the try silent to do... majority of Bigfoot people. <laughs> They try to make sometimes the camera work more interesting by doing like kind of like you know reenactments, which I'm always I'm always up for a, re- a good reenactment. They don't reenact but also anything. All the, they they went out and bought a giant white gorilla suit and do like yeah. Bigfoot stuff, and it's like this does not help your case arguing that mm. there is a Bigfoot. Yeah, they bought right. that costume too because you're not renting a costume and walking through the river with it like that. Not that's only theirs. That. But the reenactments remind me of that one time John Luc Godard made a 3D movie and then went out of his what? way to have nothing interesting happen in the 3D movie <laughs> as a big middle finger. And I'm like, you have to do this on purpose almost. Like, why? Oh, that's so good. The the reenactments really don't even like meet up to the they like add, unsolved mystery don't... standard. Like, yeah. it's pretty low. Honestly, the thing that that really makes the Unsolved Mysteries comparison super unfair is the music. Because, man, Unsolved Mysteries soundtrack slaps to this day. Anyone who says otherwise, we're throwing hands. Okay, so we mentioned the compete. I need to mention the other thing that was mentioned dozens of times. Mm -hmm. This couldn't be a prank. This is gun country. Oh, God. That's so fucked. Like... That's the most. That is the most people ain't from here thing I've oh, heard in God. my life. That is a logic hole, is what <laughs> like, that is. I everywhere that the three of us, or sorry, the four of us. I forgot to count myself, but everywhere the four of us grew up is gun country. Right, and people would still fuck with like farmers' animals. <laughs> like it right. doesn't, it doesn't matter. Is a thing. Like people like, really do that stupid. Why crap. would you think just because yeah, other people... people would be less dumb? Right. Yeah. Other people who sneak into horse fields <laughs> and ride people's horses and uh, get shotguns pointed at them. That was never something that anyone in this chat would do. <laughs> Probably not. But like, yeah, no, people really don't, like, you, you don't generally fire guns randomly at things. Like, not even if terribly. You're... Also... It's, it's certainly not. It's country. not a deterrent in gun country because it's gun country. Yeah. Nothing. Everybody's got a gun. Who cares? You're gonna. Kids are gonna do what they're gonna. Also, a guy talked about the fact that he used to do exactly that. They have a conversation about. Oh yeah, except for my friend Tim, who's got the seven foot, you know, gorilla suit. He does that, but you know, I feel like that's a unique case. Okay. Also, the amount of cops they talked to. God. Yep. <laughs> the amount of cops they talked to who swore they wouldn't lie, I'm like, it's a cop, of course he's lying. <laughs> None. Yeah, it doesn't help the credibility term. Well, yeah, yeah. Like, also, a movie made in 2021 doesn't understand that anyone watching a documentary and you're like, yeah, you a cop wouldn't lie. It's like, I'm sorry, what? You know what, Jeremiah? I'm actually, I will push back on this a little bit. I think you are unfairly putting forward, I think you are unfairly papering over the fact that cops can also just be dumb as a bag of hair. This is true. Right. Like, this is 100% true. <laughs> Right. He actually saw like a pretty big dog, but not real big. Like, there's, it was just there's nothing about big. 
Yeah, like, there's nothing about being a cop that makes you less susceptible to thinking that you saw a Bigfoot. Like, no. That's... Well, okay, so everything in this movie think? is everything Zach Penn wanted in his movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, like two things. Um, the, the first off is that one of the best parts is that one of the footage they have of the police of, like, being interviewed is actually <laughs> from another documentary that was very recently made. Really? So, why... Yeah, like you didn't catch that. No, no. Yeah, it's, no, so there's I black and white footage of a cop who's like talking at his kitchen table. Yes, right. And yeah. that's that actually weird footage choice, from a okay. different documentary. What? <laughs> they just stole that. That's well, I think funny. they got permission to use it, but right, like, right. They, they why are you making a documentary? Yeah, they had little pop-ups that came up from time to time to contextualize I totally things. I must have missed that one. Missed that one completely. Yep, and, that's and, hilarious. And, and secondly, so I have to confess, I am not up on the history of Illinois gun laws. But mm. there is something I want to remind you all of, which is that like this town lives and dies by Chicago, for better or worse. Mm, right. um, Illinois is not an open carry state. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. And so in Illinois, like if, if you are hunting, if you're on hunting property, if you're on private property, like you can carry a loaded weapon, open carry a loaded weapon. So hmm. if you are on your own land, it's absolutely fine for you to drive around with a shotgun and shoot stuff yeah. within limits. But, but sure like, as you, hell not in the state park, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like if, if you have like you can't be like like there's one thinks like the first people again who are scared at lover's lane lover's lane is public property it is non-hunting yeah. property it is not right. legal to have an operational firearm right. you have yeah. to have it locked or you have to have it taken apart so like i mean there's certain a certain amount of risk in a rural area of just like messing around but once again if you've ever lived in a rural area the 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 boredom is yeah. un. I can't. Exp- you will do yeah. things that you know will result in your death. Oh. Have I oh, fallen? Exactly. Have I fallen two stories out of a tree? Have I walked into an electric fence? Have I jumped into a watering <laughs> hole that I can't see what's in it? I have done all of those things because the boredom is indescribable. Uh, Eric right. Johnson and I once made up a game where I just threw shit at him. <laughs> that's how boring it gets in that's world. a great game. My the game was called Fuck a- Eric, by the way. That was. The- <laughs> My brother and I had a game called Squirt the Bees where we would find beehives and uh, knock them down with hoses and water guns. And whoever broke first lost. Broke and ran. My dad dad grew up in the very area that we're talking about here. And one of his favorite stories is about how he burned an entire cornfield down playing firefighter with his brothers <laughs> so like the name like you don't uh, there's no consequences it is yeah, not I, a I deterrent love it, like it I is love not the, a deterrent i love the barefaced nonsense of just like no it's gun country and the, the moment they said so, that i was like, like... And it, yeah <laughs> They're so open and shut about it too. They're so yeah. convinced that it's a point. Like it, I found so that annoying. annoying. That was annoying. Uh, I, yeah, like, it's it's one of those things that like that is that is something about like just confidently saying something because if you didn't know that was stupid, <laughs> there's nothing 
without them saying it that sounds wrong. Right. Now, now, to be fair, if it was actually hunting season and someone was running around in like oh, an yeah. animal costume sure, in the forest, sure. that's yeah. going to get you shot. Honestly, wearing a leather jacket in the woods in, mm-hmm. in an area that can be deer hunted during deer season is a bad idea. Wear, wear your orange, everyone. For wear sure. For sure. Wear orange. But, like, for real, though. Right. But they don't make any effort to like explain so. that these sightings were happening during hunting seasons or in like nobody cares. Yeah, no, it's just guns exist and therefore right. no one would dare. I will exactly. say so funny. there was one part of the documentary, Jessica Van Pelt. Mm. And she was the lady who had the deteriorated oh, the big footprint of big muddy uh, yeah. footprint. And it that was yeah. like this is the thing that Herzog was looking for. <laughs> Yeah. The person right. was like, why are you hanging out? Like, this footprint clearly no longer resembles a footprint. Yeah, it's crumbled right. up. Why right. does it mean so much to you? Yeah. Because of what happened to your mother? They're like, what? Because, like, and nothing even really happened to her mother. The story in itself isn't that interesting, but why it means something to her so Yeah. Much. Like, this is right. what I'm talking about. Like, they're the bones of, like, a thing that could have been put together well in, yeah. the, like... It is not the fault of the people being interviewed. Well, that this the was one guy in the tow truck driver, he was... Oh, yeah. <laughs> the one who told That's the it. most terrifying and disturbing story, and I was like... Is, I mean, is that the one... Is that the guy that they had to include the whole interview yeah. and not oh edit? Not edit God. a moment of it? Because it was just oh. so cinematically perfect as it was. <laughs> like, oh, my God. That's yeah. one, like, everybody has fallen for that one. Like, I, I was watching that, and I'm like, this really is. This is, like, your first movie, isn't it, guys? <laughs> like, you just, you don't even, you don't even realize what you're doing. Like, like, maybe you should, like, maybe, like, do a reenactment of this. This is They the were just, <laughs> right, they were just so enamored with that interview that they were like, we have to include this in its entirety. This is oh. gold. This is one of the things that's funny is that you can watch a movie, you can watch Incident at Loch Ness and learn a lot about making documentaries oh, by yeah. the way that like the fake documentary and the other <laughs> well, fake documentary are actual documentarian John Bailey. Right. Exactly, exactly. Oh yeah, there's there's more real documentary in Incident in Loch at Loch Ness than there is in Big Muddy. For I'm sure. Like, I, I mean, we're, we're the single greatest moment of this entire documentary. Happens at the end, after mm. the mayor is done talking. It's like we've <laughs> even got a, the town loves Big Muddy so much. There's a mural of him now oh, for the whole man. hour and whatever this movie is like forty minutes, twenty minutes. They talk it's about short. it's short. The seven foot tall white creature. Oh god! Oh! Oh! And so they yes! go to the mule, and it's a brown Bigfoot. And I'm like, you can't even keep your story straight. Oh. <laughs> Nobody told the mural person that it was white. And yet it's so, so important to every single story that we've just oh, watched. Man. It felt like parking <laughs> right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Because it's even the mayor's, like, showing it off. And it's like, uh, the only thing that Parks and Rec would have done differently is the mayor would have had a line that said, like, I, I know he's brown there, but um, there was a miscommunication. <laughs> like, you would have over-explained yeah. why it was no, brown. No, you would have been like, well, it's, the it's artists, brown, it's, it's covered in mud, it's, it's, it's big muddy. The artist <laughs> kept yelling... <laughs> 
the artist kept yelling something about ecstatic truth and just really dug his heels in about it. Like the, the brown represented something more than uh, the white fur could. I... How, how about the fact that any sort of animal that would actually evolve in southern <laughs> Illinois would never have a white coat in the history of ever? Never. I mean, That's only if you like, believe again, in like you could get like your your albino this or that like true true but they don't also don't don't forget it could have come long. through a portal like that. right right <laughs> uh, completely unrelated but you know what a Stephen all King these, portal what all right, uh, we got to start wrapping this up about oh. Uh, I, I just wanted me to go on um, our no sleep on Reddit and read the search and rescue horror stories about the staircases again. Like, oh, that's yeah, all that's I just walked one. away from that movie, being like, oh, man, I should read some more uh, rural horror that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's actually good. <laughs> all right. right. So that's all the time we have for now. <laughs> but I hope you okay. enjoyed this conversation about two meanings of truth. Yeah. The <laughs> one has more in it to do. <laughs> if you can't be accurate, at least don't be boring. Right. Just because you made fewer edits doesn't mean you are being more true. <laughs> right. Yeah, what do you like you better, to... fake truth or true fakeness? It's <laughs> it, you kind of got. Uh, it's a nice, nice menagerie. Uh, Blakeman, do you have anything to push? Um, not necessarily. I um, uh, uh, I work with a company called Method Media, and uh, we released our first feature film that we helped produce called The Stylist by Jill Gavazardian. Mm-hmm. Um. It is, um, I do have some personal stuff coming out, but we'll wait until I talk to you guys next time, because since I talked to you last about that, Sherman, I cursed myself. This is why you never tell people that, (laughs) hey, I finally got some stuff that I'm getting done, like, because I, like, invited technical gremlins into my world by doing so. But Mm -hmm. I, uh, I helped, uh, I helped make a film called The Stylist. You can find it on Arrow Films. Uh, and oh, I love uh, films. anywhere that um, anywhere that you can, uh, I think you can get it on Prime now. Um, but anywhere that you can rent films, I believe has it, and uh, they got it in all the horror stores and all the cool horror places. Awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, great, great movie, very cool. Uh, especially if you are into uh, deep horror, uh, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Okay. Well, um, say goodbye, Thad and Kara. Oh, okay. Bye, Thad Bye. and Kara. Yeah, goodbye. Good to see you all. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Always a blast. <laughs>